0: Jim Jones was the founder of the People's Temple, a religious movement that began as a progressive and racially integrated community in Indiana. After a while, Jones moved his church to San Francisco, California. But as Jones' influence grew, the group became increasingly authoritarian and cult-like. Eventually, Jones promised his followers a utopia in the jungles of South America after proclaiming himself as the Messiah of the People's Temple. Sadly, on November 18, 1978, Jones orchestrated a mass suicide murder in Jonestown, Guyana, resulting in the deaths of over 900 people including many children. Hundreds of people believed that they were following a man who was teaching them the Bible, but tragically, they lost their lives. And the Jonestown Massacre underscores the, uh, one of the greatest needs of our day, and that is to know what Christianity is. What is the message that has been given to the church? It's vitally imperative that we know the answer to that question. For to get that answer wrong not only can lead to an unnecessary death, but far more importantly, it can also lead to an eternity in hell. Luke opened his second volume, the book of Acts, by writing that his first volume dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Therefore, the book of Acts is a continuation of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke wrote about the giving of the Holy Spirit and Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in which 3,000 people were saved. And then he described the first century church that was populated by believers who were filled with the Holy Spirit We read of a a church that was pulsating with the life of God. Believers were studying the Word of God. They were enjoying fellowship with one another. They worshiped together. They served together. And they evangelized together, sharing the good news of the gospel with unbelievers. As Jesus continued to do and teach through the believers of that first century church, Luke gave us us an illustration of that truth. Luke shared a story of a man who was lame from birth. In today's lesson, we learn what Jesus did by a miraculous healing through the apostles to that lame beggar. And so if you're able to stand, I invite you to stand as I read to you from the Word of God in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. O Lord, our God, as we come to your word now, We ask the same question or we make the same statement that some Greeks made to the disciples. Lord God, we wish to see Jesus. By your Spirit's power, give us eyes to see his glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, shows us what Jesus did by a miraculous healing. The first thing I want us to see is I want us to examine the problem that was presented. The problem that was presented. In verse 1 we read, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. You see, the apostles believed that Jesus was the Messiah who had been predicted and promised in the Old Testament. And so they naturally continued attending the prayer services in the temple. Now, these prayer services took place three times a day. There was one in the morning, a second in the afternoon, at the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and a third one in the evening. The scholars suggest that the afternoon prayer service was the best-attended service. Luke said in verse 2, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And Acts chapter 4 verse 22 states that this man was more than 40 years old. Now, we're not told who carried this man. Perhaps his parents had died, and so now he was required to take care of himself. Regardless, day after day, he was taken to the gate of the temple where he begged for alms. Luke tells us that the man was placed at the gate that is called the beautiful gate. Scholars disagree about its precise location, but its precise location is unimportant to us. What is important to us is that the man was placed in a very strategic location to beg for alms. You see, people were about to enter into the temple to engage in a religious service, a prayer service. And so as people were going in, uh, people could hardly say to the beggar, I'm on my way to pray and to worship God, so I don't have time to help one of God's creations. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Now, have you ever encountered a person begging for money on the street? I'm sure many of you have. And what do you do? Well, if you just want to pass by and and not help the person, you don't look at the beggar, right? But if you do want to help the beggar, you look at him. And that's exactly what Peter and John did, as we read in verse 4. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. The lame man was so used to people just passing by, uh, and if they did give him something, they probably just dropped a shekel or two into his, cap, into his cap and kept on walking. And so the man was surprised by Peter's firm command, look at us. Verse 5 says, And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Now the man was hopeful that he was going to receive a nice sum of money, so that he could perhaps have a good meal that evening. What happened to the layman, man, however, was something that he never expected. And that brings us to my second point. I want us to note the cure that was given. Peter said in verse 6, I have no silver and gold. And I'm sure that as soon as Peter said those words, the layman man must have been bitterly disappointed. He was hoping for a, a big payday. But Peter said that he had no money. But Peter's next word is important. But that word is a coordinating conjunction that is a contrast. And what a wonderful contrast Peter was about to state. He had no silver and gold, but he had something far better. What was it? He said in verse 6, but what I do have, I give to you. And then he said these glorious words In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter didn't just stand back to see what would happen, no. He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately the man's feet and ankles were made strong. The layman must have been taken by surprise. If anyone had tried to do this before, it had not worked. He had no strength in his legs, and he would have just buckled back down to the floor. But as Peter took his right hand and raised him up, he discovered, no doubt to his utter surprise, that immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. An astonishing miracle had taken place. And so astonishing... This man didn't need physical therapy to strengthen his feet and ankles that had never been used in 40 years, over 40 years. But this formerly lame man was not only standing on his own legs and by his own strength, but he also did far more. Verse 8 says, And leaping, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. There's a children's chorus, walking and leaping and praising God. Luke didn't tell us how long the formerly lame man had been begging at the beautiful gate. Perhaps it had been for decades. However long he'd been lame and begging for alms, the people instantly noticed that he was now walking and leaping and praising God. Luke gives us the reaction of the worshippers in verses 9 and 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now there are several lessons that I would like to note from this narrative of the miraculous healing of the lame beggar. And the first lesson is that this miracle was a sign. This miracle was a sign. That's helpful to define what I mean by miracle. We live in a day in which many people don't believe that miracles are possible. They say they are scientific. The, that the laws of nature are fixed, and that miracles, therefore, do not take place. A miracle is when God acts contrary to the laws of nature. And we affirm that God is sovereign and in sovereign control over all of nature. And yet there are times when God acts contrary to the laws of nature. And perhaps the best example of this is when the sun stood still for about a whole day in the book of Joshua. God acts according to natural laws. After all, He created those natural laws. And yet, God sometimes acts in ways that are contrary to those natural laws. So God acts in ordinary ways, and God acts in miraculous ways. When I was receiving radiation treatment for prostate cancer, I discovered a little booklet that was written by John MacArthur titled, Don't Waste Your Cancer. And I actually, uh, when I went for my radiation, I read that little booklet every, every day. And he begins with these words. He says, I originally wrote on the eve of prostate cancer surgery. I believe then, and I believe now, in God's power to heal by miracle and by medicine. Although God does, in some very rare instances, heal by miracle, He far more commonly heals by medicine, and that is why we pray for healing by miracle and by medicine, or by medicine. And clearly what happened to the lame man that day when Peter and John met him at the beautiful gate was a healing by miracle. And the point of a miracle is that it is a sign. The miracle is the healing. The sign is something to which the miracle points. I mentioned Acts 4.22, but let me read that whole verse because it actually tells us there that it was a sign. It says, for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And the miracle of this healing is that it is a sign that is pointing to the power of God in salvation. The power of God in salvation. And that leads me to the second lesson. The second lesson is that the lame man At the beautiful gate is a picture of humanity in a state of sin. It's a picture of humanity in a state of sin. The man was lame from birth. He was born like that. He had never been any different. He was physically disabled his entire life. And the first truth of the gospel is that every single one of us is born in sin. We are born spiritually disabled. We're all spiritually incapable of doing anything to save ourselves. That lame man, uh, his lameness was one of the sad effects of sin. We're not born innocent. We don't become sinners. Many people think that. A a child is born and they think the child is innocent. No. We are born sinners. For David said in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. People think that they have some spiritual ability or spiritual capability, but they don't. The Bible says they are dead in sin. Now, you know this. Where does a, a little toddler learn disobedience? Most parents, the vast majority of parents, don't teach their children to sin or to do things wrong. Where does a child learn to say, No! My way! Every child is born in a state of sin. And eventually all of us can see it and we experience it. Many decades ago, a newspaper in Britain, uh, the editorial, posed a question that they wanted to get feedback from the readers. They asked a very simple question. The question was this. What is wrong with the world? And lots of letters came in, explaining all the problems going on in the world. But the letter that finally, I think, sealed the answer was from G.K. Chesterton. And he said, I am. I am. What is wrong with the world? I am. And that is true for every single one of us. The third lesson, is that the world cannot help us. At some point, we come to realize that there is something wrong with us. That, as Augustine said, there is a God-shaped hole that something is missing. And so we look for answers. We try to find peace and hope and joy and meaning and purpose. We try to find it in education, or materialism, or pleasure, or entertainment, or relationships, or success, or recognition, or any one of several other things. But in the the end, all the world can give us is alms, something to give us satisfaction for just a little bit of time. It cannot give us a cure. Deep down, the problem is still there. We have no peace. We have no joy. We have no sense of why we are here and where we are going. And even if we don't know who wrote it, we agree with Paul who wrote these words For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And at some point, every one of us has to come to that point and say, I am a sinner. That brings me to the fourth and final point. The fourth lesson is that the message that has give, been given to the church is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Peter and John did not have silver and gold with them, but they had Jesus. They'd spent almost three years with Jesus. They'd heard His teaching. They'd seen His miracles. They'd seen His resurrection. They'd received His teaching after His resurrection until He ascended into heaven. And and they finally understood all that Jesus had said and done. And then the Holy Spirit had been given to them. And they were now filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were absolutely transformed men. They'd come to realize that the cure for their souls was not education or materialism or pleasure or entertainment or relationships or success or recognition or any one of these things. They came to understand that all the trouble in the world is boiled down to a single three-letter word, S. I-N, sin. Sin was the cause of suffering. Sin was the cause of lameness. Sin was the cause of pride, and jealousy, and anger, and bitterness. Sin was the cause of broken relationships. In our world today, people want the church to do what the church is not called to do. They want the church to accommodate the culture. They want the church to accept what the world accepts. And Some people want the church to provide services to relieve their consciences, if only for that one hour in which they find themselves in a worship service. They want the church to make people feel good, and so the church must never talk about sin There's never talk about the law. Church mustn't offend people. But My dear friends, the church has no other message than Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That is our message. The most basic problem in the world is sin. And the church, and hear this, is the only institution in the entire world that has the cure for sin, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. When I was an associate pastor, my senior pastor sent me to an evangelism explosion uh, seminar conference. It was a week long in, uh, I think it was Columbus, Ohio. It was uh, hosted by a pastor of a very large Lutheran church, and at one point during the week, this pastor shared his testimony with us. He was very tall, and he had a uh, basketball scholarship to a college when he was a teenager. But when he graduated with his undergraduate degree, he still had a year of eligibility left, and so he decided that he would like to play some more basketball and he enrolled in a graduate program so that he could complete his final year of eligibility. He didn't really know what he wanted to study, but he was sort of interested in theology, and so he studied theology. Eventually, he earned his master's degree in theology. When he graduated, he really did not want to, uh, know what he wanted to do with his life, and so the denomination encouraged him to plant a church in Columbus, Ohio, and in that particular denomination, they gave him a very large sum of money so that he could go and have a sanctuary built uh, for the church plant, and while this sanctuary was being built, the pastor canvassed thousands and thousands of people in the neighborhood surrounding Uh, the uh, sanctuary that was being built and he invited them to the opening service on a particular Sunday. And I think he said that about 300 people showed up on that first Sunday and the church just grew from there. But many years later, or some years later, not that many, he developed a pain in his abdomen and he went to see a doctor. And the doctor ran test after test after test but could not find the source of this pastor's problem. He couldn't find anything wrong. Then one day, the doctor said to the pastor, he said, Pastor, I do not believe that there is anything physically wrong with you. I believe that your problem is guilt. You need to find an answer for your guilt. And the pastor said he left the doctor and realized that that was right, and that he really did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Over the next few days, he repented of his sin, he trusted in Jesus Christ of Nazareth alone for his eternal salvation, and astonishingly, he discovered that the pain went away and he found peace with God. Friends, the message of the church, indeed, the only message of the church is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Amen. Our Father, we thank you for this miracle, this sign that was done by uh, the Apostles Peter and John and what it teaches us about who you are and about the message that has been given to the church. I pray that you would help us as a church always to be faithful to the only cure that the world has, and that is Jesus. Help us always to point people to Jesus so that they might find uh, eternal hope and help in Him. And I pray this all. In his precious name. Amen. Well, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper...